leverage. It's a tricky thing, leverage. Because if you Danny Angel and you Utah Jazz, where the hell are you going? One moment. You think you have it. You want picks, don't you? You're in the driver's seat, dictating the terms. So the bottom line, if you're the New York Knicks, that should be enough to get Donovan Mitchell done. But next thing you know, the rug ripped out from under you. Cleveland is worth watching, by the way. That rug has moved to Cleveland, Ohio. New home of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. What's being called on social media right now a core four of players 25 years and younger. This is the Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs emergency podcast. Oh my goodness gracious, Donovan Mitchell! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast back from a gigantic summer hiatus. But I sat back through the draft and most of free agency. Wasn't really that active outside of Twitter, but... I could not let this story pass without getting the podcast going again. Because if anything feels like the start of season number two of the Fear the Fro podcast, this would be it. A franchise changing, maybe in the positive, maybe in the negative deal, that alters the structure of the Cavaliers for years to come, for at least three more seasons, until Donovan Mitchell can do as he wishes. But I'm not going to start on that pessimistic note. Let's just break down the news as it happened, and I'll give you my thoughts as they pertain to the Donovan Mitchell trade that has brought him to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, it's been rumored in the past several days that the Cavs had been in contact with Utah, but at least on a surface level, I took those stories as just a Danny Ainge is trying to create leverage situation. And I think that's how most people took them. The Knicks by all accounts, were the market that Mitchell would love to be in since he's a native New Yorker. And they were the ones who had a bunch of draft capital to be able to move. The one shortcoming of any Knicks offer, though, was that they were seemingly unwilling to deal R.J. Barrett and Quentin Grimes together. Maybe R.J. Barrett. The last rumor I really heard was that the Jazz had turned away a deal which would have brought them five first-round picks, three of which belong or two of which belong to the Knicks, three of which belong to other teams that the Knicks possessed, along with RJ Barrett and Fournier. And they didn't want that deal. The Knicks then extended RJ Barrett, which complicated any deal and took him off of the table. And at that point, apparently, the focus became the Cavaliers because the deal is now done and Donovan Mitchell heads to Cleveland in a trade that sends Colin Sexton Lowry Markinen, Ochai Abaji, three unprotected first-round picks, 2025, 2027, 2029, and two first-round swaps to the Utah Jets. Now, I'm not going to lie. I am hesitant to co-sign this trade. Based on track record, I should feel confident that Altman knows what he's doing. This is the same guy who traded for Jared Allen for basically nothing. Scraps. Same guy who turned Torian Prince into Ricky Rubio. A great deal, by all accounts. Same guy who turned Rubio into Levert and then re-signed Rubio, and we still haven't even conveyed a pick in that trade. Now, the pick that we owe the Pacers has caused a wrinkle in this Donovan Mitchell deal because the fact that this 2023 first round pick is likely going to the Pacers is the main reason why 
we're now having to go up the 2025, 2027, and 2029 first round picks. That could blow up in our faces spectacularly, but you got to go all in in some regard, or you got to have faith in them going all in in some regard, because the idea that Mitchell could walk away, that's obviously the worst case scenario here. You gave up Sexton, Lowry, Ochai, and then all those picks for a guy who will be there for a few more years. But you look at the rest of this core, and by the core, I mean Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, and those guys are locked up for a long period of time. So you take that risk. Donovan Mitchell, the more productive playoff offense that we've seen from him in his time in the NBA, you're hoping that you get just a superior version of Colin Sexton, who will be more engaged on the defensive end, and that he takes you to a new level and coexists with the rest of the core in a way that, for whatever the reason may be, clearly the Cavs front office did not have faith that Colin Sexton was that guy. Because, to be fair, the deal that he signed four for $72 million to go to the Jazz, that's a steal, in my opinion. $18 million a year for Colin Sexton for the next four years. I don't know how you could object to what came back to the Utah Jazz in that situation, if you're a Jazz fan. Now, I said this on Twitter. I still feel this way. I may just need time to reconcile the idea that the cost of getting an all-NBA-level player, which Mitchell is, you know, in a perfect scenario, he's a top 15 guy in the league, or he can be, is such a heavy price. Gobert got what was the equivalent of five first-round picks. So the Cavs, in bringing in Mitchell, gave up three unprotected first-round picks. They gave up their first-round pick of this season, Ochai Abaji, and the ability to swap two other picks. All that, in addition to Lowry Markinen, who was playing excellent at the end of last year as he got healthy and as his percentages began to climb, and, of course, Sexton, who missed the season but is a proven scorer in this league, only 23 years of age. If you were to look at the numbers, the idea that we're paying such a high price in draft capital to make the leap from Sexton to Mitchell is certainly not a sure thing. But, as I said, there's a part of me that if I'm looking for a silver lining or for something to give me hope to cling to, it has to be that Altman's track record in trades to this point has been excellent. Now, if I'm Sexton, or if I'm a fantasy owner of Sexton, I really love my outlook for this next season. I'm in a situation that he clearly is comfortable in, one where he's the primary focus of a team where wins and losses are not the be-all, end-all, and he'll have a chance coming off of an injury to show all the people who doubted him that he can, in fact, be a primary component of a good basketball team. Now, we don't, the Jazz, in all likelihood, they're not going to be good. But he's taken a lot of bullets this season since he went down. And I would say there's plenty of people who have forgotten how good he was simply because it's been a while since we've got to see the prime version of Colin Sexton. But regardless of whatever created the hesitance for the front office to give him that deal, which was four for $72 million. In the end, if you're resigned to losing Sexton in a season anyway, under the assumption that the alternative here was that he would take the 
qualifying offer and then dip in a year? Well, then that allows you to frame this trade in almost a different way. It lets you look at it like, oh, we gave up a ton of draft picks, yes. But really, the only long-term components we gave up here were Lowry Markkinen and Ochai Abaji. Still solid, productive role players. But one thing I felt this whole offseason is that for the first time in a long time, even the guys on the absolute fringes of the roster were guys who I was comfortable getting minutes in NBA games. And by that, I mean guys like Osman. I mean guys like Dean Wade and Stevens. Those are guys who benefit from today's move. Because we sent out two guys who could have logged significant minutes at the small forward for us. And now we're looking at a situation where Okoro, where Levert, and where even Dean Wade are going to see significant upticks in usage on the wing. So if there's a winner here, I think Dean Wade would have to feel pretty good about what just transpired here. Interestingly enough, the Cavs didn't try to bring back any of the other components in this deal with Utah, like uh, Bogdanovich or Clarkson or whoever it may have been, which would have been an interesting wrinkle because clearly the Jazz are cleaning house. But I don't know how there's any way that you can't look at what the Jazz have done this offseason and say, you know what? We decided we were going to tear it down and we came away with eight first-round picks. They came away with five first-round picks from the Jazz, essentially. Four first-round picks and then their first-round pick this year in Walker Kessler. And then to get the Cavs three first-round picks. Now, mind you, these are probably better for the Jazz in the sense that 25, 27, 29. 2029 is six years away. Donovan Mitchell will either be A, on the older side, or B, potentially not even with the Cavs if things go south here. Now, I don't like talking in that way, because while I may have my hesitance about what was given in this trade, of course, I'm still a Cavs fan, first and foremost, so I'm rooting for the outcome to be a positive one. But I don't know that anyone objectively can look at this and say, excuse me, by the way, I'm getting over a cold, so odd time for my first podcast back in a while. But I don't know that anyone can look at this objectively and say, okay, this is a slam dunk move. Now, I think when you look at NBA Twitter and from some of the national analysts, they're a lot more positive on it. Like Bobby Marks, for example, feels like this is an absolute win for the Cavs. And I've seen the reaction from some of the other people. And I think a lot of that, I, I think there's a few things that factor in there. One is that Sexton has been out of sight and out of mind. I don't think he gets the respect that he deserves. I think he gets pinned with a lot of the, quote, hollow numbers argument, which I think is kind of ridiculous. One, because find me a guy who's had to assume the lead role on a team as young as he was with the guys he had around him at that point. There's not many people who've been put in a harder position to lead your team to a significant amount of victories. And I think Sexton did about as well as anybody could have expected. But point being, he now has a chance to prove that with Utah. Where does this, I guess, put into question what the Cavs are doing here? I mean, I think we've known for a while, for most of this past season, based on the extensions and the contracts handed out, that the Cavs view Garland, Mobley, and Allen as a core trio. This adds a fourth component who is clearly an integral part. Now, I do wonder how the usage situation is going to pan out with both Garland and Mitchell back there. There are a lot of people 
talking today about, oh, it's another small backcourt. There are defensive sieves. But it is a blow we lost Lowry because one of the things I felt last year, even before Sexton went down, is that we were seeing with Mobley in the mix and with Markinen back there that they were able to cover up a lot of the mistakes from any backcourt defensive flaws that were in there by being able to swallow up guys at the rim and shut off driving lanes. We'll have to see how that shakes out without Lowry there. Now, Dean Wade is a much better defender than people give him credit for, but he's still in the rotation. He's still probably the third option behind Levert and, of course, Okoro. Okoro, we know what he is defensively. You have to hope that he makes some kind of offensive leap. I thought he made it a tremendous leap from his first to second year in terms of his efficiency, but again, he's not much in the way of an attempts guy on offense, which is going to limit some of his ability to keep teams honest. But this is really more of a reaction about the trade. Another thing that I think is interesting to look at is so much in modern NBA trade discussions, especially this offseason, we've seen so many fan bases around Durant and now around this Mitchell trade say, well, we're betting against ourselves. They have no leverage. The guy wants out. They'll have to trade him to us. We'll give him the lowest possible offer. I've heard it from Raptors fan bases who said, oh, we wouldn't give Scotty Barnes. I've heard it from the Celtics fan base who said, oh, Durant's not worth Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. I've seen it from, well, the Heat as well when they were trying to get in on Mitchell and or Durant. The fact is, none of us ever really know, truly for certain. Yes, there are some discussions that I'm sure exist solely to try to shift leverage one way or another, but it's been interesting to see these people celebrate how the Knicks extended Barrett and say, well, we're in the driver's seat. We don't have to offer anybody up. And I believed it myself, personally. This did come out of left field a bit for me. I didn't think the Cavs really had the ammo needed to make this happen. But once Barrett got taken off the table, I think it allowed the Cavs to Pull this deal off. Now, again, I don't know where I come down on this. My initial gut reaction is that it's too much to give up. For that kind of price, I would hope for it to be more of a two-way wing guy. Somebody who can lock people up on defense and bring you the prolific offense that a guy like Donovan Mitchell brings you. But I will say, Donovan Mitchell has had some absolutely incredible stretches during the playoffs, especially last season. I thought he was tremendous in that stretch of time where he had, you know, six, seven games in a row against the Grizzlies and then the Clippers, where he scored over 30 points every single game. I mean, he scored over 30 points every game during the Clippers series, except for one. He had 45 points. He had 37 points, 37 points, 39 points. This was a guy who was filling it up. Now, Sexton obviously has that capability, but not on the high-profile level that we've seen Donovan Mitchell do it. And I don't know how many of you recall when Donovan Mitchell came out of Louisville, but everybody said, oh, he's raw. What he really brings, though, is intensity on defense. Now, all of a sudden, he's become criticized as how horrible defensively he is, but I don't think it's due to a lack of ability. He's always had the athleticism. He's always been a tenacious player, hopefully in a system that has really prioritized defense, and you can just look at how good the Cavs were before the injuries started to mount last year, we'll get to see a Donovan Mitchell who's engaged and 
who is able to reap the same benefits that he saw in Utah with Gobert behind him, having guys like Mobley and Jared Allen patrolling the paint behind him. I think the biggest thing we need to look at here, though, is the two biggest question marks for the Cavs here are not that they didn't get better on an overall talent standpoint. We were a deep squad to begin with. I do think they can absorb the losses of the three guys that they lost because they didn't have Sexton last year. As good as he is, this is a team who we saw how good they were without him even in the mix. So essentially, you're swapping out Mitchell for Lowry and Ochai, who we hadn't seen on an NBA level. We were all optimistic about him, and I still hope the kid does great. But I'm excited to see if this supreme faith that the front office has in Mitchell, which they obviously must have given the package that they just gave up, will be validated by on-court results. Coming into the end of January last year, the Cavs were a really good team. Once they hit All-Star break, things really kind of fell apart. And a lot of that was because they started to compile injuries right before All-Star break. I mean, they lost Garland for a handful of games. They lost Jared Allen. They lost Lowry. They lost Rubio, of course, for the season. Sexton had already been gone. Guys were in and out of the lineup a lot in the second half. And it just, it didn't come together. But you can't look at that trio of those four, or I shouldn't say trio. You can't look at the trio we had in place and adding Mitchell to it and not be ecstatic about the possibilities. There's a lot of good teams in the NBA. This may not put them into contender status. But I think we can look at this and comfortably say, what we saw transpire last year, injuries mount, couldn't make the playoffs, got into the play-in, got bounced. That will not happen this year. Probably shouldn't have happened last year, but it definitely will not happen this year. And the best case scenario, of course, is that this foursome stays together, the depth plays admirably in the roles that are expected of them, and the Cavs find themselves as a home court advantage team every season moving forward during that window, which they'll be sacrificing their first round picks. Because 2029, that could be dicey. I think we can all feel pretty good about 2023 to 2025, but time passes very rapidly in the NBA. What seems like a long way off now could be completely different in a few years. Just look at Brooklyn. That was a team who Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Harden, We were all expecting them to be title contenders, and there was a chance all three of them could have been off the team had they not realized that Kevin Durant really didn't have many offers out there that were worth a player of his talent. So I guess that's sort of my initial reaction here. Love Donovan Mitchell. Don't know that I love him so much that I think he's worth all the stuff that went to Utah in addition to Colin Sexton to make that leap. I think he's better than Colin Sexton. Here's how I I summarize it. I feel like the Rudy Gobert trade was the equivalent of what happened with Deshaun Watson. That trade went down, and it was such an insane package. It set the bar for every subsequent trade, whether it be Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell, that to pull off those trades, you felt like, well, I have to come back with a better package than what Gobert got, because those two are better players. I don't know what the Cavs could have done here. I mean, certainly somebody was going to give up what I considered too much for Donovan Mitchell, but I may just need to reconcile the fact that it's not the same as a year ago. Teams seem to be valuing draft picks less and less, and this all-in mentality 
seems to be taking hold across the league, even more than it has in the past. I mean, this has always been a league kind of predicated on star power. But the fact that teams aren't even blinking at deals that essentially take them out of contention should the core they assemble not be enough for years to come, it is a huge risk. And this feels like an all-in risk for Altman. If this goes bad in two to three years, he's going to have a hard time recovering from this, especially if Sexton flourishes from here on out. And I, and I hope he does. I feel like all along, $18 million was a more than reasonable number. But for whatever reason, the Cavs didn't feel this way. And if the op- option came that he took the qualifying offer and the Cavs risked losing him for nothing next year, then I can't be that beat up. That makes this deal slightly more palatable. Now, I hope that I am eating my words a year from now. I hope that the chemistry that this foursome of guys could have together just proves to be tremendous and that the front office saw something in the type of player that Donovan Mitchell is that it will overcome any reservations I have about essentially giving up all of their future assets in this one move. But you can't fault the front office for being ballsy, if nothing else. Now, though, I will say it puts a damper on all the trade speculation for the future. Sometimes after your season is done, the most fun part of the summer is when you start speculating on deals. And now the Cavs are going to be in one of those situations where they're not a real contender for any trade because they've gone all in. And the only thing that they'll have to move is their young star players, which makes things a lot less exciting. It's always great when you can trade things that don't actually exist yet for something great now. So right now, today, yeah. It's exciting to be a Cavs fan, but you just don't know how things are going to work out. And certainly, three unprotected first-round picks and two first-round swaps, that is a lot to give up. But I hope it works out. I'm Bob Schmidt, host of the Fear the Fro podcast, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan, back for season two. Good way to kick off another year of Cavs basketball. I hope you join me for all my future podcasts, uh, which will be more extensive. I just wanted to get something out there as a reaction for today's news because, of course, my phone has been blowing up. I've had a lot of thoughts on it, but I'm going to do something more extensive on the entirety of the offseason here shortly. So thank you very much. Fear the Fro podcast. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.